Hello and welcome to the third episode of your favorite podcast, Hashtag No Filter, the podcast that helps you understand the link between social media and your mental health. I'm your host, Austin, and in today's episode, we will continue our discussion on social media and psychology. Today's guest speaker is Dr. Linda Kane, a cyber psychology specialist. So please stay tuned. To anyone who has ever engaged on any sort of social media platform, it's probably not that surprising that it takes its toll on our psychology. In the modern world, almost everybody uses social media platforms in one way or another. Statistics from Pew Research Center in 2018 revealed that people between 18 years and 29 years, over 80% of respondents use different social media platforms. Over 75% of people between the age of 30 years and 49 years share similar opinion. Although the next age group reduced in terms of how they make use of social media, the figure is still considerably high. For instance, 64% of individuals who are between 50 years and 64 years frequently use social media. This isn't bad for a generation which did not grow up with social media or internet. Statistics like these just show the popularity of social media platforms in recent years. Given the way that it's being used by people of different age groups, there's need to look at its effect on individuals, how information is being processed, and the sort has been changed by the way people communicate in these platforms. According to experts, individuals are being to show different social media behavior. Just as this can benefit their mental health, this is how they are also prone to some dangers. There are lots of studies findings to back this up. For instance, a study was carried out in 2014 which revealed that most users of Facebook usually suffer from low self-esteem. This was evident when the posts of individuals who had positive news were viewed. In another study carried out in 2018, it was discovered that limiting the time people spend on social media to only 30 minutes can decrease the rate at which they are feeling depressed and lonely. It showed that our behavior online influences how we feel and who we are. The question is, where the social media platforms influence our interaction with others? If this is true, how does it happen? According to a research study conducted in 2015, the diversity and efficiency of social media has brought about closeness more than ever before. The only problem is that relationships are not permanent. This is because we are all learning to crave for immediate gratification. Social snacking is what the researcher called this. With these results and findings, it is easy to conclude that our thoughts about social media has been confirmed. With endless scrolling, we have the chance to connect. However, it can prove to be very isolating. This is probably why relationships of these modern times don't stand the test of time as compared to 10, 15 years back, as our life seems to be revolving around the virtual world. More studies will have to be carried out to be find out the impact of interaction amongst people. Social media psychology is a field which has been existing for about 15 years. It came into existence when the social media platforms had started gaining momentum. Due to this, studies conducted are still in their early stage. In studies which have been mentioned here, researchers outlined the limitations they had experiences in order for future researchers to carry out study on them. There's need for new perspectives to become part of this field too. Due to loopholes identified in the existing studies, just like explained by Jim M. Twani, people need to become aware of the implications of depending on social media for the sake of future generations. According to her, smartphones are likely to do more harm than good for children. To have a better understanding, we have invited an expert in the field, Dr. Linda Kane, to talk more with us about the nuances of social media and psychology. Hello, Dr. Kane, and welcome to Hashtag No Filter. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? Thank you for inviting me to this. Um, I'm very well, thank you. Hope you are too. Before starting our interview questions, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? 
Yes, so um, I'm Dr Linda Kay and I work in the Department of Psychology at Edge Hill University in Lancashire in the UK and um, I work in the area of cyber psychology which is about the psychological experiences of how we engage with new technologies and the internet. You have done a lot of compelling research on social media and relationships. What patterns do you see with how social media changed how we related to one another? Um, there's some variations there. I think there's not necessarily a, a clear and, and obvious answer. So I think in terms of how our relationships work on social media, I think, first of all, it depends on the platform that we're using. So um, some platforms we might use because they help us just continue our connections with people we know already. So if you think about platforms like Facebook, for example, so it just helps us maintain those relationships, but not to the only way that we we have relationships with people. But then if you think about something like um, Twitter, for example, where you might be connected to lots of different people who you may have just met on there and that's the only way you maintain those relationships, then that's going to you know, be different in terms of how that functions for your relationships. So I think there's, there's that issue. Um, as well, it depends how people actually interact on those in terms of the, the way it functions for relationships. So, you know, some people are much more instrumental or proactive in, in being social on there and reaching out to people or seeking support or being part of communities, whereas other people aren't. So, again, that's going to affect, you know, the extent to which your relationships work and, and how social media functions for that. Um, and I think the other thing to note as well on that is that we have what's called this context collapse thing so if you think again if we use Facebook as an example um it's it's not often in not often in what we might call the real world where you know all the people you're connected with are in the same context at the same time but that would be the case often on things like Facebook where you might be friends with your colleagues your family your cousins your um other you know people you might work with so it's really difficult kind of managing all those different types of relationships in one context. So um, that that does make you know it difficult and that will be different again on, on different platforms. So yeah, so I think you know when you use it proactively and um, particularly with your, your kind of close friends, it can be really useful and it can also enrich your relationships to allow you to meet other people as well, which you know can be really positive as well. I think a lot of people are quick to paint social media as the bad guy, a bad influence, a corrupter. To what extent would you agree with that, if at all? Uh, that's a good question. So, I mean, I think it depends what kind of aspects of social media you're referring to. And I think it, it is the case that some companies are perhaps more responsible or less responsible than others. Um, so, you know, there are some some what might be called bad guys out there who, you know, are, are a bit more money driven in terms of advertising and, and and manipulating perhaps users a little bit more. So in that sense, you know, that, that isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, but again, I think, you know, when you think about social media, it's, it's so multidimensional and, you know, you've got ways that you can join communities, you can share photos, you can chat with your friends, you can seek support groups and, you know, those to me don't seem like particularly bad things. And, you know, the fact we have a platform available for us to do those things, you know, that there is something positive there. So I don't think we can paint all as being totally bad. Um, 
but yeah, I think the elements that, you know, paint social media as being the bad guy would be, you know, the way that online data is, is used for commercial gain. Um, and that, that to me seemed to be the, the main point to, to note there about that issue. Your research with WhatsApp is really interesting. Since a lot of effects you saw were largely positive, could you summarize your finding for us there? Yes, definitely. Um, so, yeah, we did this study to look at um, how people use the platform of WhatsApp to gain different types of social support, how that then related to their sort of the social resources and ties they had with other people um, that they were partners with on there, and then also how that related to well-being. So what we found was that particularly people were using WhatsApp and it was helping social support, like emotional social support. Uh, this was particularly useful for helping people feel um, that they gained those sort of enriching social resources from the people that they were with on there. And actually that in itself related to people feeling generally better about themselves in terms of well-being, like feeling more socially competent or having a higher social, um, self-regard. So, yeah, so I think that the main findings were that it, it is really a complement or a supplement to the the relationships we have and that it's not necessarily taking time away from us spending time with our friends and family, but actually it's enriching those opportunities. It's an additional context for helping us do that. So I suppose that sort of generally summarises what, uh, what we looked at there. So it sounds like social media, it's also a powerful friendship tool, which shouldn't really surprise anyone. What was the most surprising aspect of that research to you? Um, I don't think there was anything surprising, really. Um, I think it kind of sort of suggested what we were expecting, really. Um, I mean, the thing is, you know, that we talk about friends and things online, but, you know, I suppose there's the, the thing to note is that People you might be con- in contact with on things like WhatsApp aren't just friends. They might be family or work colleagues. So I think it works beyond just being a friendship tool, but more of a how a more relationship and, and, you know, as a more broad term. So, I mean, we were looking at people who were WhatsApp partners with, with other people, and that could have been any type of relationship. We weren't just focusing on friends. So it would be interesting um, to look at how um, different types of relationships function on through things like WhatsApp and how that relates to friendship quality and things like that. So no, I don't think there was anything surprising so much about what we found, but um, it might have surprised other people maybe. (laughs) How do you think anonymous social media accounts impact our psychology? How do these things change when you're suddenly only interacting with people who don't know your identity? That's a really good question. And I suppose I'm trying to think of a time where I'd be online, but other people don't know my identity. And I mean, from from my own experience, I can't think of a time when that would be the case. I'd, I'd normally have a purpose for being on, for example, social media, and people would would know who I am because if in some contexts it would be in a, a platform where I know people, like they'd be my close friends and family. In other places, it would be because I was using it professionally, so getting my name out there, visibility, etc. So I'm trying to get myself in the head of people who, who may have anonymous social media profiles and why they might do that, I guess. Um, and I suppose there's only two reasons that come to mind. And one would be possibly that they, there was a, a valid reason for them wanting to be protect their identity. So, for example, if they were 
possibly had been subject to being stalked or if they were under things like, I don't know, victim protection by the police, that kind of thing. Um, or maybe if they were um, just wanting to be hurtful to people, so trolling people and things like that. It can, to some extent, it can change what you disclose about yourself and how much you might be willing to disclose. Um, sometimes we have this um, stranger on the train phenomena where you know when you, you you don't know people as well, you might actually be more likely to disclose more because it might be people you'll never see again, and it doesn't matter how much they know about you. Um, but I think it depends what the, the context that's in and and why people might be anonymous in the first place. So, so I don't have a particularly good answer to that because I, I can't think of a good example of when that would be the case. Have you seen your research how different aspects of identity, like race or gender, are impacted by social media? That's a good question. It's, it's not something I've looked at myself specifically, but um, there is quite a bit of research that has sort of looked at different aspects of identity and, and how social media functions there. And um, there's, there's certainly research um, by um, Adam Bates, um, who led this, who looked at um, the kind of how adolescents can express aspects of um, LGBTQ identity uh, through things like social media, how you know it can be important for people developing those um, those personal identities in relation to their gender or sexuality. Um, so that's you know really sort of nice finding about how you know they they can be actually quite powerful for self expression. Um, I know there's research by um, Dr. Catherine Talbot and she looks at dementia and how social media functions for people who have early onset dementia. Um, so how it allows them to to almost re, reform, recreate this, this sort of new identity and allow them to explore it. And again, that tends to function in actually a very positive way for sort of self, self-expression. In terms of things like race, um, again, I can't think of any research off the top of my head, but I, mean, I think the interesting thing with things like race is how the race is represented in through things like social media, through things like emoji and um, memes and GIFs and things like this, and how I think there's still some way to go on on ensuring that the full spectrum of, of different identities and characteristics is represented there to ensure that it's, it is representing all types of race and, and that people of, of different races can feel that they can actually um, explore identity through those. So, yeah, I think there's, there's some really interesting ways that social media actually can help things like self-expression um, and, you know, even help things like people being able to uh, come out as being gay or things like this, you know, it can be really functional for people in that way. How do you think people are using social media wrong? Is there a mistake that people frequently do that is harming their mental health? Um, I think that, yeah, there's certain things. And I think people sometimes assume that if you're friends with people on social media, that the, the only thing you need to be doing to keep connected is to constantly be talking with them. <laughs> uh, and whilst there is something about their level of interactivity with other people on social media that is perhaps more helpful than if you're just kind of consuming other people's content. Um, actually, what social media is really good for is just keeping connections and maintaining relationships. And it isn't the case that you have to constantly be on social media to have those connections in place. So sometimes, you know, it's the quality of those interactions rather than the quantity that can be important. So you know, it's it's the case that if you are using social media as a way of, 
you know, feeling that you're part of a community by joining different community like pages, for example, or um, you're engaging in, in certain interactions like tweet chats and things, which are kind of quality interactions with relevant people. Um, that's actually probably more important than quantity. So, yeah, I think it's how interactive you're being, but at the right time and with the right people. <laughs> that probably is sort of supersedes how much time you might spend on there, perhaps. What do you think is the biggest common misconception about how social media impacts our psychology? I think the the biggest thing is that generally the, there's a big label on social media as being kind of bad. So, you know, you, you tend to see headlines and things like social media is making us depressed, social media is giving us self-esteem issues and all this kind of stuff. And while that might be the case, if people are engaging in certain types of content or are not using it perhaps instrumentally, then yes, that might be the case. But I don't think that's it's fair to put that as a generalised claim. So I think that's generally a misconception about actually the fact that social media is so multifaceted. Um, the very much differences across different platforms of how people experience it depends entirely what type of content you might be engaging in, who you're engaging with, the different types of interactions you have, what the quality of those interactions are. Um, and so, you know, I think the biggest misconception is that all our experiences are the same on social media and all social media is the same, but that's not the case. So, you know, looking at it much more specifically is important to understand the impacts on psychology and, and behaviour. Finally, what advice you would give to someone who feels disconnected but doesn't know what to do beyond social media? Is there a way to use social media in a better way? Yes, I guess so. And, you know, what, what you tend to find is what, what can be work well is, again, using social media as a way to kind of keep up to date with what people, where people are up to. Um, and it's not necessarily the case that all your interactions with people have to be on there. But if you're getting an impression about where somebody's up to, it might be that then reaching out to them um, through maybe a private channel, either through, you know, a private message, or it might be if you have, you know, them on WhatsApp, contact them specifically and, and reach out in a more instrumental kind of way. And I think sometimes that's is possibly a good use of social media is to to know what's going on with people because people do often share information about what's happening and then use that as a catalyst to then form conversations and um and and enrich additional um time with people in, in maybe through other channels. So I think it's just a useful kind of holding tool for us to use um, to then as a basis for then other types of interactions that can happen outside of it. That probably might work best. Thank you so much for sharing the knowledgeable information in this episode. No, thank you very much. It was nice talking to you. Thank you again, Dr. Kane. Like she said, social media is so multidimensional and it's particularly impossible to reduce all of its sound to one issue. Social media is changing all of our behavior undoubtedly, but just because something is different doesn't mean it's all bad. Social media offers exploration, new terrain, and you will definitely see how community building online continues to evolve. Thanks for listening to Hashtag No Filter with your host Austin. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For next episode, we're going to look at the impact of social media during the COVID-19 pandemic. As always, Feel free to search nofilterpodcast.wecyc.com slash podcast. And also, make sure to follow me on Instagram, no.filter-podcast. Thanks again, and I will see you next time.